0: Good morning, my name is Josh, I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek, and if you are a guest, a special welcome. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. What a privilege it is to uh, really just, we, we think of ourselves as being your hosts today, so we're glad that you're here. And to all of our friends who are joining us in the cafe or online, welcome, we're glad that you're with us as well as we continue our series through the gospel of Jesus Christ according to a man named Mark, and we will be in chapter 14 today. Now, I know some of you are going, no, wait a minute. We've been going through the series at a snail's pace, but we were in 12 last week, and now we're in 14. Where did I miss this? Well, on Wednesday nights, for the rest of the series, we're going to be doing some teaching on Wednesdays as well. So if you do not already have a group or some other activity going on during the midweek time, I invite you to join us in the cafe at 6 30 as we continue, and we'll fill out the rest of the series with our Wednesday nights as well. So um, I just need to say this: Growing up, my family was normal, and everyone else's family was not normal. Uh, does anyone else have a normal family? Anyone else? Is, your family was the normal family growing up. Anyone? You're like, nope. mine? What? Okay, wow. We've got like three people. The rest of you going, mm-mm, fantastic. The illustration will be even better. Thank you for that. So growing up, we had certain ways of doing things in the Diggs house. One of those was the way we ate meals together. There was a way of doing it. My mom was a quintessential hostess, and she had a very particular way that she saw the family time going when we got together at night. Now, I didn't realize this was the case. I just thought this was how life was and until I was invited to go have a meal with one of my friends. Now, I'm sure this is not unusual. In fact, I had a conversation with some buddies after this event, found that this was actually pretty normal, it seemed, or pretty common, But for us, it wasn't. I remember the first time I went to a friend's house for dinner. Uh, He was a member of the church, a great young man, good friend, good family. But what happened that evening boggled my mind. See, in the Diggs house, when it's dinner time, we all come, we sit around the table, and we have our seat. Anyone else have their seat at the table? You know, your seat. It even has like the little shape. In your seat, of you, that seats, We had our seats around the table. Dad would sit in one place, Mom in the other, serving, everything. And when we would sit, there would not be a TV in sight. We would sit, we would talk about the day. And we were not permitted to leave the table until two things happened. Number one, until we said, may I be excused? And number two, Mom or Dad said, yes, you may be excused. Those were sort of the criteria for dinner at the digs, but that was not the case with my friend. I sat down at their dinner table, but there was no food at the table, and my friend looked at me. and He's like, what are you doing? I said, well, it's, it's dinner time, right? And he said, yeah. I'm like, this is a table. This is where we put food usually, and he goes, no, come with me. I said, okay. We walk into the other room and he plops down on the couch in front of the TV and turns it on. Next thing I see, TV trays begin to be set up in front of the television and all of a sudden I began to realize what a deprived life I had up until that point. See, in my house we had to talk to each other, but in his house they didn't have to. In my house, we had to stare at one another as we chewed our food awkwardly. In his house, they got to stare at a TV and laugh and enjoy life and have fun. Not in the Digs' house, though. And so I remember after this wonderful experience of watching cartoons at dinner, I went home and I was like, Mom, you wouldn't believe it. Guess what we got to do? And she kind of blew it off. I thought, well, that's weird. So then at church, I started talking to some friends about this. I was like, did you know that so-and-so, they get to sit and eat dinner at home in front of the TV? And all my other friends were like, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I the only one who doesn't do this? They said, yeah. So then I go home again. I say, mom, you wouldn't believe it. Not only does this friend eat in front of the television, but all of my friend's who love Jesus eat in front of the TV. And I remember learning a very valuable distinction that day by my mom. And these weren't the exact words, but this was the idea. Effectively, she said, that may be what is average. That may be what, if you take all people and put them together, that is the average. But she said, that is not normal. And I remember I had the Unwise thought to argue with her. I was like, "Well, mother, if everyone doesn't, doesn't that mean it's normal?" Don't don't argue with a mom who's on the soapbox, kids. It is just not a smart move. She goes, "No, son." She said, "You understand the TV is a modern invention." And I'm like, "Oh no, here it comes!" And she just blah. So the TV was new, the radio was new, and up until that point, about 100 years ago, all we did is we only had candles and the faces of those across from us, so you will like it when we stare at each other at dinner, son, because that is normal. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. But here's the big idea. I learned that what may be average, common, typical, does not necessarily mean that it is normal. In fact, on your notes, the title is The Response, but let me give you a different title today. If if you want to put this in the title, here's the simple title for today, Average Is Not Normal. Average is not normal. If we were to do just a real quick survey of the average American Christian, what would we find? I'm a stats geek. I like this stuff. So let me tell you what I've discovered. A few things. Number one, the average churchgoer 20 years ago, an average church attender, would attend church on average three times a week. Today, the average churchgoer attends church at most three times a month. That's average. But is that normal? Like, is that the standard? Uh, Here's another one. Did you know the average Christian is paying 20% roughly of their income to pay off debt, but only 2% tithing or giving to the church? That's average, but is that normal? Is that the way it should be? Let me give you another one. The average Christian will never bring someone to faith less than 1% will ever bring a person to faith that's the average but is that the normal way it should be and here's what i want us to do this morning we're going to look at a story where there's a woman who does something that is not average on any level but what she does i am absolutely convinced is what Ought to be normal for those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. And I want to talk real fast before we get into this. I just want to say something to those of you who may be visiting. If you do not know Jesus Christ, this is just real quick. This message is one of the reasons, what we're going to see here is one of the reasons that some of you are skeptical about faith. You've seen Christians who say one thing, and you've heard this standard presented, but what you have seen is an average church, or an average lifestyle, or an average way of being. Not necessarily in this place, but in our culture. And I just want to say to you that what you see may be average, but that is not the biblical normal. We're going to look at biblical normal this morning, and I want us to get a picture for what it could look like To not be average Christ followers, but to be what Christ sees as normal followers. Okay, so let's go. This is in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And it takes place at a party. Here we go. Now, the Passover... That's a high festival, a religious festival of the Jews. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, those were two separate ones that happened back to back. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests, these are like the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Let the weight of that statement sort of sit on your shoulders for just a moment here. We are just a couple days away from when Christ will be arrested, put on trial, accused of things he never did, and executed on a Roman cross. And it's happening, there's the scheming from those who are in leadership at a party even that Jesus is attending. But, they said, not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot, Now, while he, this is Jesus, was in Bethany, that's a city, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. By the way, I had someone ask me, it says Simon the leper. Weren't lepers people, they had a skin condition. They weren't allowed to be with other people because it was contagious. Here's the way you might want to put a little note in your Bible. Simon the ex-leper. He was known for what he had, but Christ had healed him. Otherwise, he could not have been in the presence of people. And so many people think perhaps Simon was hosting this party as a thank you to Jesus. But Simon the leper, during this, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. By the way, don't you love how Jesus takes care of those who can't take care of themselves in society? You leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me here. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, verse 10, one of the twelve went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Do you understand that Jesus' words have been fulfilled in our hearing this morning? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our church will not be average in the way that we live for you, but that we will find the life that although it seems extraordinary in this culture is really simply the normal way of living as followers of Jesus. May we, like this woman, be fully devoted, fully committed to our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, this was just one of those moments that was just a little too much. Have you ever been in one of those too much moments? It's the moment where the bride and the groom are on stage and they're, set, they're told, you may kiss the bride, and so they kiss. And you would have thought they had never kissed anyone or anything ever before in their life. You're like, okay, that's nice, but it's a little too much. It's the couple sitting too close at the family reunion and you're like, "Uh, that's too much. It's like in school, some of you will have a name that comes to mind. Don't say the person's name, but it's that person in school who refused to be average and consequently that one person always wrecked the collective curve of the class. Anyone getting a name in their mind of that person? It's just a little too much. This was one of those moments where it went past what is acceptable, and it came to the point where it was just uncomfortable. Well, okay, so you want to give Jesus a gift. Fine, give him a little perfume, dab some behind his ear, maybe on the wrist, spritz him a bit, but the whole bottle, that's just a little too much. That's just awkward. And what happens here is what we often do when we see someone else who seems to be going above and beyond what is considered average, typical, standard. We attack the person for what they're doing, don't we? And so people begin to say things like, what's wrong with her? Doesn't she know how much this stuff is worth? Now just think about this for a moment. Of all the people present, who would know most how much the perfume was worth this woman knew how much it was worth down to the penny this perfume was a precious gift we're told it was close to a year's wage real quick in your mind do the numbers how much is a year's wage what would that gift look like She knew exactly how much it was worth because, now listen, a little culture here, because people in those days did not put their money in the kind of banks that we think of, they just didn't have them, most people kept their assets, what they owned, in real property, in real things that you could see, use, deal with. And so this is why in the Old Testament of the Bible, back in Genesis, the very first book, When we're introduced to the man named Abraham, we're told how many cows this guy has and camels and sheep and all the real goods he has. The point is the Bible's trying to say this is how much he's worth because they did not have banks. They kept what they had in real property. What she is giving to Jesus, hear me now, was what she had. This was the most precious gift she couldn't lavish dollars and change on him so she gave him the most exquisite expensive gift she had which was this perfume and it was expensive because this nard spicknard comes not from some place where they lived oh if you wanted it you had to make the 2500 mile journey to india where they would take the spicknard plant and from the little spiky fruit, they would extract from it minute pieces or bits of the oil. It was very hard to come by, very precious. And because it was so precious, she kept it in this beautiful alabaster jar. Alabaster, a soft form of marble. Oh, she knew what it was worth. And this would have been the thing That on the day of her engagement, when her husband says, Will you be my wife? And when everything is agreed to, this would have been the gift given from her to him. People often wonder, where did she get this kind of money? Most likely this was an heirloom or probably her dowry. This is what would have been given to her spouse, her husband, on the day of their wedding. They would have used this. They would have sold it so they could have purchased all of the things they need to get their house in order to start life together. You understand what she is exchanging for Jesus in this moment. This was infinitely precious to her. It was the best thing she had. It may have been the only thing she had It was everything, and we don't even know what prompted her. Now, we do know that things are starting to turn dark in the gospel of Mark, right? Chapter 14, things are starting to get pretty bad. The story begins with the religious leaders plotting to get rid of Jesus, but because of the crowds, because of the people who love Jesus so much, they say, you know, let's not do this in public. Let's, let's kind of give it a moment. Let's find a safe place to get him where he's by himself. We'll try him quickly and quietly and we'll kill him. And then no one will be able to stop us. It'll be done. Things are going south. And we're told that Judas, one of the followers of Jesus Christ, at the end of this little story, and we don't have time to get into the why, he goes to the religious leaders and says, i tell you what, you give me money, I'll get rid of them for you. I'll tell you where you can find him when no one else is watching This is chapter 14, and by chapter 15, Jesus is hanging on a cross. It is getting dark, and it is getting dark fast. The moment that she has to respond is short. This is her moment to respond and show Jesus. So she goes into her home and and I almost wonder, does she go into her house? Maybe she goes into the little closet and she pushes back her stuff and she finds the secret place where this jar of nard sat. And she takes this most precious gift and she quickly goes to the house of Simon the leper. She pushes past the crowd into the room right there next to Jesus. Now listen, this doesn't hit us, but in their culture, a woman and, and ladies, please don't email me. I'm, this, is, this isn't me. This is their culture. But in their culture, a woman standing next to, that close to a holy man would be considered scandalous. What she did next? Unthinkable. Everyone heard the crack of the jar as it was broken and they smelled the strong scent of nard, quickly filling the room as it poured over his head. Look, 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 as it came down. Yes, sound effects are included in this sermon today. And it poured over Jesus, and everyone could smell it. Now, listen. Nard has this earthy, uh, sort of a mix of a spicy, sweet smell, and it's good, but not in great quantities. If you smell too much of it, it's just a little, it's a little sicky, sweet. Uh, uh, how many of you have ever walked through the perfume areas of department stores? Any of you? You practically need to put on a hazmat suit and a gas mask to get through. Maybe it's just me, but as I go through, the smell is so strong sometimes. I, I leave and I am wearing the smells. I can feel it on me. My clothes smell like what I've walked through. In fact, if you open your mouth as you're walking through, you can practically taste it, can't you? Everything sort of has that weird flavor to it. And this is what's happened. The room is full of this smell. No one is missing what she's doing. And so they attack her. Doesn't she know? Doesn't she know? She could have used this money. It could have helped other people. I mean, Come on, Jesus, isn't this an irrational use of money? And Jesus says, you leave her alone. She is preparing me for my burial. Now, some of you will say, well, what does that mean? You'll notice that Jesus, because of how quickly he will be executed and taken off the cross and placed in the tomb, they do not get to finish preparing his body for burial. That's what the women will do when they come to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning to finish preparing his body. His body has never finished being prepared by them, but it doesn't need to be because she is doing that today. She just doesn't even know it. She pours it over his head. And I wonder how strong the scent must have been. Do you wonder if maybe it lingered on him even as he was being whipped and beaten? Do you think there may have been a little smell of nard still in his beard while he hung on the cross? The gift this woman gave was one that lasted, that lingered. And Jesus says what she is doing is the only normal thing. And I love this. People are like, normal? What is normal about this? What has Jesus done for her? Well, here's the problem. We don't know who this woman is because Mark doesn't tell us. Now, there are all sorts of theories who she might be. Some people will say, well, if we go to the Gospel of Luke, there's a woman, Mary, the sister of... Lazarus. And we know in, Lu, in, in John's account, rather, that she pours perfume on Jesus. So this must be Mary. And she's so thankful because Jesus has raised her brother from the dead. Yes, if Jesus raised my brother from the dead, or my sister, or my mom, or my dad, then of course I'd give Jesus my best. But Jesus hasn't done that for me. Why would I give him that? Others say, no, 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 no. It's not Mary the sister of Lazarus. Others will say, well, according to Luke, this was a sinful woman. Maybe it's a different account, but if it's this account, it's a sinful woman. Uh, So maybe it's Mary Magdalene, who we know was possessed by seven demons. And consequently, Jesus casts out the demons. She follows Jesus. So some say, hey, this is a normal response if you've been.'" Freed from demonic oppression. Anyone in here who's been freed from demons, you need to give Jesus Nard. That's the rule. But if you haven't, no Nard. And then still others will say, no, 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 I don't think it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus, or Mary Magdalene. Some people say or theorize that this is the woman who in John 8 was caught in the act of adultery. You know the story. She was caught. The religious leaders take her in the very act, drag her before Jesus with an angry mob around her, ready to kill her, and Jesus disperses the crowd, protects her, and forgives her of the, her sins. And some people say, well, of course, giving Jesus your best is the only normal response if he saved you from being executed and forgives, wait, forgives you of your what? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the reason that Mark does not tell us her name, maybe he does that on purpose. Maybe it's because her name doesn't matter. Maybe what matters is that Mark is saying what she does, giving Jesus her best, is the only normal response to anyone whose life has been touched by Jesus Christ. That instead of saying, well, if he did something great for me, then I would give him my best. Friend, what has Christ done for you? Let's just do a little audience participation. Uh, you can raise a hand, or if you're feeling a little more Pentecostal, you can put both hands up. I mean, whatever you want to do here. But, but here's the deal, okay? Just real quick, show of hands. How many of you have given your life to Jesus Christ? Just, just show of hands. All right? Um, how many of you... Because you gave your life to Christ, you have been forgiven of your sins. Anyone in here grateful that what you did yesterday does not count against you tomorrow? How many of you have been freed from the consequences and the eternal damnation that comes from rebelling against God? I know I have. Anyone else? How many of us in here, you say, well, Jesus has not brought back a dead friend of mine or a dead relative of mine. Yes, but how many of us, if you are in Christ, have the hope of resurrection, not just for a few days or a few years, but for eternal life? Does anyone else have hope of resurrected life? What has Jesus done for us? He's done everything for us, family. And this way of living as though average is okay is not okay. What do you give someone who's given you everything? I I love the story from World War II of father Maximilian Kolb. You can go to the next slide. Maximilian Kolb was a Polish priest. He was arrested by the Nazis and interred in Auschwitz concentration camp for helping protect and hide over 2,000 Jews. But while he was there, during one late day in July, 1941, a prisoner from the camp somehow managed to escape. And the rule at the time was for every one prisoner who escapes, ten prisoners will be lined up and they will be executed. And so, because one had escaped... Ten were chosen, and as the commander of the concentration camp was picking people, he came to one man, and as he about touched the man or pointed to the man, the man crumpled and cried out, My wife, my kids. And in that moment, Father Kolb raised his hand and stepped forward and said, Can I take his place? And the commander didn't care. He said, Sure. So he took Father Kolb and the other nine prisoners and for the next two weeks they were slowly starved to death. Father Kolb, whenever he was being checked on by the Nazis, was seen praying with those, singing with them, quoting scripture, reminding them of the hope that they could have in Jesus Christ. And he was the last one of the ten to finally die. And it was an interesting thing because after the war was over the man who had been set free who had been given his life back went into according to one report a deep depression until a friend of his said you living with this guilt does not honor the gift you've been given you honor the gift by the way you now live and this man it clicked and he goes you're right And for the next 50 plus years, wherever he went, he was telling people, hey, have I told you about Father Kolb who took my place when I was sentenced to die? Have I told you about the man who stood in my place when I was chosen for execution? Have I told you about the one who gave me back my life? Church, on the day that the enemy said, your Crime is this, and penalty is death. Jesus Christ raised his hand, stepped forward, and said, I'm taking your place. In the moment where I was dead to rights for my sin, Jesus said, I'm taking your place. For the things that you've done, the things you didn't do, the things you should have done, Jesus says, I take your place. And so the question is what is the response? how do we respond to this what is the not average but what is the normal thing what would it what would happen if like this woman you and i were to say this is our moment to respond what would it look like what if this was our moment when we realize i understand what jesus did for me I understand what he paid for me. I understand the forgiveness he secured. I understand the eternal life he's given. I, I understand the joy that can be mine. I understand the hope. I understand what I get to have now that I'm in Christ Jesus and life with God. What would happen? Would you stop me right here? And, and I know some of you are nervous. You're going, hey, you're talking a lot about giving. Hey, we're not passing the plates again today, so relax. Relax. But would you stop me right here and say, hey, we can't go one step further. I've got to go home. I've got to get something. What what would you give in a response? And and I've wondered, what would it look like if we brought our most precious thing to Jesus? Would, would, Would we bring to him something that would not fit in the plates? Maybe we would need plates large enough to hold boats. Is that what we would give to him? Or we need plates big enough to hold cars. Or maybe we wouldn't need that big of a plate. Maybe we just need a plate big enough to hold the keys to our homes. Or maybe what we bring to Jesus would not even be something. Maybe it would be someone Maybe we bring to Jesus our wife and our kids and we'd say, these are the most precious things I have, but they're not mine. They're yours. You show me how to love them, to lead them. I'll do whatever it takes. I will sacrifice whatever I must because they are yours, dear Jesus. Will we bring to Jesus our careers and say, I love my job. It's a great place of satisfaction, but I am yours. You tell me how to live, I will do it in my job. How many of us would say, Jesus, I give to you my sexuality. I give to you my body. I'm not mine, it's yours. You tell me how to live, I will live that way because I am not mine, I am yours. How many of us would give to Jesus that thing, that thing that we hold on to for a rainy day, the thing that we hold on to when we just, we don't know how we'll survive without that thing. What is that thing? What would happen if as a church we say we don't want to live average church Lives, And here's what I love about this church. So many of you have chosen not to be average, but you have chosen to live as biblically normal Christians who say, all that I am, all that I have is Jesus Christ because I know what he's done for me.